0: Agenda, a voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Alright, happy Thursday, everybody. That means it is time for the Fertile Show, and I'm Crystal Heath, your host, as we dive into the realms of faith, family, freedom. We're talking politics, we're talking culture, we're talking all the things really that everyone else is talking about, but that maybe you've tuned out or you haven't heard or you just haven't heard it from this perspective before. Now, this is an opinion program. That's much of what talk radio is, in case you didn't know. Talk radio is where people share their opinions about whatever is happening in the world. There are very few, in fact, dare I say none, that actually (laughs) present just facts. Even NPR, with its soothing voices, who talk exceptionally slowly as if to say by talking in this manner the things we say are true no no everything is slanted worldview slants opinions of what is happening in the world all around us now so I'm gonna, we're going to talk today about the Democratic debate and then we'll, we'll see how long uh, how long we go on the Democratic debate and candidates and caucuses and things like that. We may or may not get into today uh, what's happening in Iran and uh, the resolution that was recently in Congress. Some, some crazy things happening there, but we want to start with the debate. So Tuesday night, Democrats gathered, six Democrats gathered on stage for one final debate before the Iowa caucuses which now are about two and a half weeks 17 18 days depending on whether or not you count the day that you're on and the day that it ends on you know how that goes so we are we are not far from the Iowa caucuses at We are so close. I cannot even believe the fact that we are in a presidential election year yet again. Time just flies by. And before we we dive into this, let me just say something here. And if you've been any kind of a listener to this program in the past, this is not going to come as a surprise to you that I'm going to say this. But let me say this. Please, please register to vote. It does not matter to me, although I definitely have... opinion that I would be happy to share with you uh, off the air actually you know what no I'm gonna share some of the opinion that I have with you please register to vote and please register to vote in a party uh, that 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 may if you're gonna register to vote register to vote and be able to vote in a primary process okay Um, you can you can write you know if you were registering to vote I could write down that my party affiliation was the Crystal Heath party um, but I would be the only person in that party. And therefore, I would not be able to participate in the primary process. Okay? And, and the concern that I have is we have so many people today, especially millennials, and I, I understand why you don't want to be affiliated with any of the major parties. I get it. Because they're not perfect. The problem is... If you don't affiliate with a major party, then you can't participate in that party's primaries. And if you don't participate in the primaries of the major parties, then I really don't think that you have an opportunity to complain about who the major parties end up selecting as their candidate. So my suggestion is this. If you have a, a problem with being affiliated with a major party but you strongly lean towards one or the other, this is what I suggest you do. And it is legal. Okay? I'm not... (laughs) I would never intentionally or knowingly tell you to do something that was illegal on this program. Here's what you do. Register to vote affiliated with the party whose primary process you want to be involved in. Once the primary is over, you can change your voter registration and what party group you're affiliated with. You can become completely unaffiliated. You can be affiliated with nothing and still be registered to vote. But please at least register to vote and be affiliated with a party whose primary process you can participate in during the primary. Okay, But then just don't forget to change back when it comes time to vote in primaries again. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. If you have questions about that... You can, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, at The Friddle. You can send me your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. Um, or I'm here at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. You can come. We can have a, a personal conversation about that. But, uh, and and I'm, I'm not here to tell you what party to affiliate with. I'm just saying, please be able to vote in a primary. Because if you want to have a say about who the main candidates will be in November, then you need to have a say in the primary process. Right, The rest of the time, be as unaffiliated as you want. I, I get it. I get not wanting to be affiliated with a party. But if you're not affiliated with a party for the primary, at least if you live in the state of Nevada, then you can't participate in the primary. Okay, So be affiliated at least for the primaries. So, uh, And that's what's about to happen in Iowa. They are going to caucus in just a matter of weeks. And those voters that are registered as Democrats will be caucusing. To determine who their state will give their 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 parties, I don't even know how to explain. It's kind of like an electoral college, almost ironically. But they will give their they'll put their backing behind one of these candidates. Interestingly, it probably won't be Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not doing real well in the in the polling in Iowa. He's also not doing great in the polling in South Carolina, two early states. Er, No, I'm sorry. South Carolina, he is doing well. Uh, What's the other early one that he's not doing well in? Ugh, I can't remember. New Hampshire. New Hampshire is the other one. So Iowa and New Hampshire, not doing great there. He is doing well still in South Carolina and nationally. But in Iowa, that is what is about to happen in just a matter of weeks. And in Nevada... Actually, I don't even know when Nevada's... uh, let me see. I'm going to look it up. February 22nd. So we are oh, about five weeks away from when we here in Nevada will have a chance. Uh, the the Democratic Party uh, will be caucusing. Um, hang on. Let me look at... Sorry, I should have pulled this up before we were actually on the air. So... Uh, Nevada Democratic Party is saying that 2020 will be Nevada's most expansive and accessible caucus yet. Um, You can caucus two ways. If you are a Democrat here in Nevada, February 22nd, you can vote early in person or at any early vote site in your county, or you can caucus with your neighbors at your precinct on February 22nd. A list of precinct sites came out yesterday, so... Um, if you would like to go and, uh, and if you are registered with the Democratic Party or you're planning to register with the Democratic Party, then you want to be part of those caucuses, then you can go and look that up, uh, I believe, let me double check here, let me double check, let me double check, let me double check. Yeah, the Republican Party in Nevada is not going to hold a caucus in 2020. They essentially said uh last September on September 7th, 2019 that the inevitable conclusion uh is that that uh Donald Trump will be uh well, I'll just read you the the statement that they made. The statement from the party said, uh, from the party chairman said, as the chairman of the Nevada Republican Party, my job is to ensure not only President Trump's victory in Nevada, but also to elect more Republicans down the ballot. It would be malpractice on my part to waste money on a caucus to come to the inevitable conclusion that President Trump will be getting all of our delegates. So essentially what the Nevada Republican Party met together in September and determined was that they were not going to caucus and spend party resources on caucusing to determine that Donald Trump would be our nominee uh, here in Nevada for the Republicans when he could use that money on down-ballot races like Senate races and congressional races. So the Republican Party will not be caucusing uh, in, in Nevada this year. Democrats will have their caucusing on February 22nd, so just over a month away. There now, uh, back to back to the debate, Drake University in Des Moines. Um, so it, it, it was a weird debate, you guys. It was just strange because it wasn't like it wasn't overly aggressive, but it was very divisive. There was a lot of tit for tat. There was just this back and forth of of nasty, of polite nasty. Like, does that make sense? Like, it was just, it was cringeworthy, I thought. It wasn't like an angry brawling. It wasn't it wasn't overt and outright, but it was just, it was just like, mm, mm. Like the knives were out, and people were just like jabbing with them. And it was just, it was strange. It was a strange debate. It was not pleasant <laughs> to watch, Uh, It wasn't overly entertaining. There wasn't over much gaffing. It was just strange in so many ways. The Sanders team reported that they raised more money in the first hour of the debate than they had ever raised before, perhaps because Bernie Sanders presented himself as somewhat, dare I say it, reasonable. And more so, I think, because of Elizabeth Warren's uh, CNN was just not fair to (laughs) Bernie Sanders in this thing. And Elizabeth Warren um, just said some stuff that was so off the wall that she did not have uh, a good night. CNN has been taking a lot of heat because uh, they presumed that Elizabeth Warren, in a statement that she said, was, was telling the truth. And that Sanders was lying directly to their face. So earlier this week, before the debate, on Monday, CNN published an article uh, according, that said, according to anonymous sources, that in a private meeting, Bernie Sanders told Elizabeth Warren in 2018, in a private meeting, that he believed that a woman could not win the presidential election. So this is a CNN story that they published the day before the debate, That is based on anonymous sources. Now, Sanders supporters were very quick to point out that they have video evidence from over 30 years ago showing Sanders saying that he believed a woman could be president. So whether or not he actually said that to Elizabeth Warren in relation to now, it is clearly not what he has always held because we have video evidence of him saying he believes a woman could be president contrary to CNN's report based on anonymous sources that say Sanders told Warren a woman couldn't be president. So, it's during the debate, and the the CNN host asks Bernie Sanders, she says, So, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. Sanders responded by saying, that is correct. Without missing a beat, this same debate moderator turns to Elizabeth Warren and says, Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? Uh, like, it was it was a moment of absolute unbelievable, like, it's <laughs> media malpractice. I think, are the words that we could use here. The moderator doesn't ask her if it's true. Right? Elizabeth Warren is not the source for this article. And instead of asking her if it's true, after Bernie Sanders says he never said that, literally, Bernie Sanders is like, nope, never said that, And the moderator, without missing a beat, turns to Warren and says, what did you think when Senator Sanders said that to you? The thing that the man just said he never said, based on CNN's report, it was an unbelievable... I've never seen anything like that. Like, that was so incredibly biased. Absolutely unreal. By the way, this is the same moderator, now granted, or the same woman moderator, who (laughs) President Trump... <clears throat> president trump in november 2018 said to this lady miss phillips he he she asked a question on the out at the white house press pool outside the white house <laughs> she asked a question in november 2018 now i'm not saying that we should be rude but this is what the president said to her he said what a stupid question that is what a stupid question but i watch you a lot you ask a lot of stupid questions and I gotta tell you when you saw this moment in the debate, it kind of gave some credence to what the president said and and you know we tell our kids there are no stupid questions, but there comes a point where if you are a paid journalist, there are certain levels of responsibility and <laughs> and ethics like actually finding out that something is true before presuming that it is it doesn't happen often in journalism today but it's rare that we see such a blatant display of it uh, by the mainstream media during a presidential debate of democrats i got to throw that in there because we've seen this many times play out <laughs> on republican debate stages where it's like what is that question that's not even tr- why are you even asking that question But to see them do this to Democrats and one of the Democratic frontrunners, like if that—if you haven't seen the clip, you should go and watch the clip because Bernie Sanders' face tells you tells the whole story. His face is just like, "Are you kidding me?" That was an unbelievable thing. Like he just—he can't even believe it. He's so incredulous. He's like, "I just told you I didn't say that, and now you asked her how she felt about what I said—the thing that I didn't say, whether he said it or not." I don't know. The only people that really know are probably Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and quite frankly, I I doubt they remember it because of the number of conversations that they have with each other and with other people. Now, their staffers might remember it, sure. But then why be anonymous about it? I don't know. If you were actually there, I don't know. (sighs) Oh... Anyway, so Elizabeth Warren is asked what she thought of Bernie Sanders asking her this question, and Elizabeth Warren replied, I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie, but look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it. Head on. The best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So, can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost ten elections. The only people on the stage who have won every single election they've been in are the women. Amy, she means Amy Klobuchar, and me. Following the debate... You know that time when all the candidates shake hands and say pleasantries and say how nice it was to argue with you in front of all of America and thanks for calling me names and disagreeing with me. You know, that, that, those awkward moments. Uh, Warren, or er, uh, sorry, Sanders walks over, offers his hand to Elizabeth Warren. She pulls her hand back and does not shake his hand. Refuses to shake the man's hand. Now. (laughs) You just said on national TV that you're friends. And that you're not here to fight with him. Like, you literally said, Bernie is my friend, and I'm not here to fight with Bernie. And then you refuse to shake his hand? No wonder that the hashtag NeverWarren was trending on Wednesday morning. <laughs> not not even... Like, it started Tuesday night. It's still trending the next day. The overarching problem, though, as I see it, for both Warren and Sanders, is how similar they are. They are splitting the more socialist side of the Democratic Party between them. And... Quite honestly, I don't see either one of them being able to win unless they were to unite. But the more they keep driving this wedge of division between them, the less and less likely that appears to be. Not to mention, I can't imagine either one of them being willing to play a second fiddle <laughs> to the other. I can't imagine Elizabeth Warren... Uh, Stumping for Bernie Sanders as the vice presidential nominee, and I can't imagine Bernie Sanders stumping for Elizabeth Warren as her vice presidential nominee i just don't i don't see that happening, but unfortunately uh, for Democrats, I think that would be their only their only chance because right now they're just they're splitting that far left uh, more socialist viewpoint between them and I think together they have a chance to be unbeatable for the nomination, but that just has become so so unlikely the further into this that we get and and unless they create some sort of separation between them and their ideas there there's just not the distinction between the two of them that there would need to be so um couple examples <sighs> on tuesday you know And I don't know if it's just desperation, because her poll numbers are starting to slide. But Warren suggested that uh, she released a plan prior to the debate. And her plan, you can read it at ElizabethWarren.com. But in her plan, she said that she would direct her Secretary of Education to compromise and modify federal student loans consistent with her plan to cancel up to $50,000 in debt for 95% of student loan borrowers. She then took to Twitter and said, When I was elected to the Senate, I used every opportunity and tool available to ease the burden of student debt, including claiming Native American heritage. I fought to lower interest rates. She didn't have that part. I added it for your benefit. I fought to lower interest rates, refinance loans, and hold loan servicers and debt collectors accountable for breaking the law and hurting borrowers. Understand this the Department of Education has broad authority to end the student loan debt crisis. When I'm president, I plan to use that authority. She also said that canceling student loan debt is a racial justice issue and we can't afford to wait for Congress to act. I've already proposed a student loan debt cancellation plan, and on day one of my presidency, I'll use existing laws to start providing that debt cancellation immediately. So she essentially is saying, I will bypass Congress. I will act unilaterally to cancel $50,000 in student debt for 95% of student borrowers. Now we've talked about on this program before the many, many reasons why this is just a terrible idea, I what what <laughs> like uh, uh, I can't I don't even know where to begin with this. So what about all the people that have paid their own way uh, through school? How is this somehow fair or relevant to them? Like, are we just going to give everyone in America like that that seems more along the lines of a Yang Gang plan? Like we just give everybody in America money, you know? It, what the people that were responsible that 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 were able to work through their student loan debt and pay that all off, are they not deserving of that money as well? Are you only deserving of having your student loan debt paid off if it is still existing? I'm sure there are many, many people. Now, I never had that much student loan debt. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I can't imagine if I had had $50,000 in student loan debt and had paid it off myself, and then this woman is standing up saying, well, if you've still got it, we'll pay it off. If you already paid it off, you know what? Good for you. Too bad. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you paid off $50,000 in student loan debt, you'd be just fine. Like, if, 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 if the guy that still has it is going to get his paid off, why don't you also get credit for that? It, it doesn't make sense. Not to mention, you're talking over a trillion dollars. Senator Ted Cruz took to Twitter with a scathing tweet on this plan. Saying which clause of the Constitution gives a president the authority to give away a trillion dollars without Congress. And if you like this policy, how would you feel if or when a Republican president does it for something you don't like? Here's a better idea. Follow the Constitution and don't be a dictator. She says that this plan would be more than compensated for by her wealth tax. In the November debate, she had said, uh, 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 I have proposed a two-cent wealth tax. Your first 50 billion is free and clear, but your 50 billionth and first dollar, you got to pitch in two cents, and when you hit a billion dollars, you got to pitch in a few pennies more. Which doesn't even make sense, because you would hit a billion dollars before your 50 billionth dollar, but anyway... Um, the Daily Wire pointed out that Warren has actually proposed a two percent surtax on those with a net worth over fifty million, and six percent on people more than worth more than a billion. Her initial plan was three percent on billionaires; it's now doubled. And if you actually go to put this plan in place, y- that's that's it doesn't it doesn't even work. So, uh, the Washington Post had a piece really that explained all of this it's titled Warren's misleading pitch uh on her, billion, her all on or, um Warren's misleading pitch sorry i can't read uh for her tax on billionaires and in that they talk about how well she she makes it sound good by saying pennies but essentially what she'd be doing is taxing uh, the 75,000 wealthiest house households in America uh, who have a net worth above $50 million, unless they're billionaires. The problem is, the, if you actually add up the math here, it would take her 10 years to reach $2.75 trillion just in that money. 10 years does not equate to the day after she is elected. And this is not abnormal, necessarily. Politicians, by and large, often make promises that they cannot possibly keep. Or at least not begin to keep within the bounds of the Constitution. But this one is just... There's literally no way for her to do this. It cannot be accomplished. And now what we're seeing is Elizabeth Warren donors asking for their money back after she accused Bernie Sanders of saying a woman couldn't be president. Although she didn't really. CNN's anonymous people did, and then she just went along with it. On Monday night and Tuesday morning of this week, the hashtag refund Warren. So, so, following the debate, during and following the debate, we had the never warren hashtag trending. Prior to the debate and during the debate, we have the refund Warren hashtag trending on Twitter as donors demanding a refund through the Democrats' online fundraising platform, which is called ActBlue. I should point out, by the way, I don't think I mentioned this earlier. So prior to the debate, the Warren campaign uh, released a statement which basically confirmed CNN's story, but, uh, but said that Sanders specifically said a female couldn't beat Donald Trump, not that one could never win the White House. Which was, in fact, what the story said. (sighs) <sighs> I don't... I. It was just not a good night. It's not been a good week overall for Democratic candidates. It just hasn't. So... But there were more candidates on the stage than just Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Let's look at some of the some of the highs and lows and then uh and then we'll 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 continue on our merry way here. uh Biden had a good moment when he talked about and and what's terrible is that his good moment is the moment when he uh, he can come across as grandfatherly, when he gets into his empathetic moments, um, he talked about how his wife and daughter had been killed in a car crash, and how he was raising his two sons alone on a $42,000 salary, and traveling 250 miles on the train uh, every day to care for his boys while also serving as senator. I, that was, by far, uh, seemed to be his, his high point of the debate. He, he tugged the heartstrings, and it worked for him. Um, his uh, <laughs> his not-so-brilliant points were his now saying that his previous vote, his yes vote on the invasion of Iraq in 2003, was a big mistake and then uh, just wanted to let everyone know once again that Barack Obama picked him as vice president. Not any of those other people, but him. So he's like, yeah, you know what? My vote on Iraq was a mistake, but Obama chose me, guys, me. Uh, we also had Senator Amy Klobuchar was on the debate stage. Uh, her, her main thing seemed to be she wanted everybody to know that she is a winner, which, honestly, I think that was probably a good move for her because that is what Democrats are looking for right now. What they need in a candidate is someone who can beat Donald Trump. So she uh, just kept repeating the fact that she was a winner. She said, I won every race, every place, every time. So she's never lost an election, which is quite a feat, by the way. Um, but she had some difficulty then uh, with different policy points, was her, was her low point, and she had to refer to her notes often, which I don't fault. <laughs> like, the amount of information you have to understand to stay on this debate stage and sound intelligent is substantial. So I I mean if it was me my pile of notes would be ridiculous okay but unfortunately in the world that we live in it doesn't look great if other people can answer without their notes and and you need your notes doesn't mean that you know any less it just means that maybe you can't bring it to mind as quickly so uh, I think that was a thing that was a not as good of a look uh for her and then maybe because she was reaching for the notes her notes would then seem to give her a much lengthy, a much lengthy? A very lengthy uh, answer. And the length of her answers tended to overpower uh, the, the point that she was making. So she would, by the time she reached her point, it had been such a long answer that you, you didn't even care anymore. Or she would give her point and then proceed to make such a long explanation of the point that by the time she was done, you forgot what the point was. So uh, I think the the... Pushing that she's a winner worked well. The lengthy answers, not so much. Mayor Pete, possibly the biggest loser of the evening, in my opinion, because he was handed, uh, like, it was like they just pitched the man an underhand and it, <laughs> he bunted. Like, he, <laughs> the dude could have hit so many home runs. Like, he had such opportunities in this debate. His first question on his readiness to be commander-in-chief, given the backdrop of what's happening with Iran, he should have just smacked that thing out of the park. The only veteran on the stage, he should have just gone with that one. Instead, (laughs) instead of going with his main strength, which sets him apart on the stage, he gave a really broad answer about all the different types of challenges that a president faces in office. It wasn't necessarily a bad answer, but he had such an opportunity there and just, I think, missed it uh, completely. He did I, His strong answer, I think, was when he talked about um, the president using bone spurs as an excuse to get out of serving uh, in Vietnam. So, that, I think, is going to be something that we hear many times and often, especially if he ends up on the stage uh, with President Trump at some point, which I don't anticipate, but you never know. Then we had billionaire Tom Steyer, the man who sends me all the mailers. I don't know why. I've never expressed any political or other interest in the campaign of Tom Steyer, but uh, you know, the man is persistent. I have gotten flyers from this guy, for well over six months. Like, he has been in this thing uh, to win it. And unlike others, Tom Steyer has been focusing on Nevada a lot. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but he has been really zeroing in on the state of Nevada. Um, he did great when it came to... uh, uh. A question about coal and oil because he was he was they were trying to I think get him in a corner a little bit say if you know you you've worked with this stuff and how does that affect your position on climate change uh, and he used that to then change the conversation talk about fossil fuels his commitment to fighting the climate crisis and he he basically he redeemed that moment it was what what has been seen as perhaps his greatest weakness. And he turned it into a great little story about himself and about how wonderful he is and about how he is saving uh, us all from the climate change. Outside of climate change, though, which, if you've seen any of his ads, you know that this is his pet project. Outside of climate change, he really struggled and when it came to other issues. Pretty much every other issue, he just did not give good answers. Healthcare, education it just it wasn't good when he was asked about the impeachment I got to find it here uh it was it was one of the most bizarre things of the night when he was asked about the impeachment I want to make sure I say this right uh he said where is it where is it ha! I can't find it I wish I had the exact quote, but I don't. Okay, basically what he said, I, he said, I've started a petition. What I've done is I've started a petition. So he's asked about the impeachment, and he says, what I've done is I've started a petition. And he used another word for petition, too. And, and it was just, it was a weird answer. Like, n- nobody cares about your petition. They're asking about the impeachment. This should be an easy question. Don't talk about your petition. <laughs> your petition doesn't matter. I saw somebody had a great idea. It was I was cracking up. Somebody tweeted during the debate that what they were hoping that, that the president would do was host a rally during a Democratic debate. But instead of doing a normal speech like he would at any other rally, he would watch the debate with the crowd... And add his own live commentary while the debate was unfolding. Yeah, that would pretty much be hilarious. Hilarious. Anyway. Um, I mentioned Elizabeth Warren's uh, tax. It, by the way, it doesn't work. Um, the uh, wealth taxes are so terrible and so hard to enforce, 15 European countries have tried the idea in, I believe, the last decade, and all but three have eliminated it. Warren's tax rate that she's touting, that it's just pennies. Her tax rate is more than twice as high as any of the 12 countries that have tried this in recent years and gotten rid of it. That includes leftist, socialist democracies. Nobody does this because it doesn't work. And she's like, "Well, we'll just double that, and it'll be fine." It's kind of like the "my little finger will be thicker than my father's loins" type thing. It doesn't work, and but that's what she's that's what she's touting. Um, Bernie Sanders talked about his uh, his tax plan a little bit and admitted that he wants to raise taxes on Americans making twenty nine thousand dollars a year. Now that is that is bottom middle class right there okay that is it is not hard for you to fall into that category as a working person the average family would pay twelve hundred dollars more in taxes every year to cover the cost of sanders medicare for all system which by the way would provide free health care to those who are in our country illegally So we had six candidates, the top six candidates, Andrew Yang saying that he will not again be left out of a debate. Six candidates gathered this past Tuesday night in Des Moines, Iowa, for the last debate before Iowa holds its caucuses on February the 3rd. It was their last chance. Caucuses less than three weeks away. They're making their final nationally televised pitch to the Iowa caucus goers. Moment of truth is just around the corner. Now, Iowa... Let's talk for a few minutes here about what Iowa does. What the caucusing is, and what if they are indicative of a winner. So, you have Iowa. Everybody talks about Iowa. Iowa is the first place, the first state of the Union, where the fun really begins in an electoral year. Since the caucuses began in 1972... Iowa has had 18 caucus winners, 10 Democrats, and 8 Republicans. More than half of those winners would go on to secure their party's nomination. Only three of them would go on to be elected president. Interesting. So, how much does this really matter for 2020? Do Iowa and New Hampshire really mean all that much. Joe Biden's campaign is pushing hard that he doesn't need to win Iowa and New Hampshire to become the Democratic presidential nominee. That's true, and it's also why he's focusing on Nevada and South Carolina, the third and fourth of the primary states. Biden is polling better than any other candidates among minority voters, so you gotta think, if you think Iowa demographics and New Hampshire demographics, and where Biden's poll numbers are best is where you have more diversity, uh... Iowa and New Hampshire are not the place where you find diversity. So, <laughs> the problem though for Biden is that again, since 1976, uh, that's when the Iowa caucuses really became a, a thing in politics, the eventual Democratic nominee has almost always won either Iowa or New Hampshire. There's only one time since 76 when this didn't happen, and that was with Bill Clinton in 1992. But, to Biden's hope, the states of Iowa and New Hampshire don't offer that many uh, delegates. And their electorates, quite frankly, don't exactly reflect the modern Democratic Party. But if Biden can do well in Nevada, if he can do well in South Carolina, and then you've got Super Tuesday coming, so this is how it's going to play out, on uh, February the 3rd, that'll that'll be the beginning of it all. On February the 3rd, Iowa will caucus. And then we will have all this conversation for a week about, you know, the the significance of the Iowa caucus, uh, who's rising, who's falling. Then we'll hit New Hampshire about a week later on February the 11th. Ten days, 11 days after that, we will have the Democratic caucus here in Nevada on February the 22nd. Then on February the 29th, we will have South Carolina will caucus. So we'll have two in one week. If 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 Biden can do well in those two in the one week, that could really uh really change the picture here. Picture could also really change depending on what Iowa and New Hampshire do. If Biden doesn't even come in like the top 3, then he's got a big problem, I think. Um then on and in March 1st, so this is this is a huge week right here. You have got Tuesday the 25th or I'm sorry, Saturday the 22nd, the Democrats will caucus here in Nevada, Saturday the 29th uh Democrats will caucus in South Carolina. And then uh and then we have Super Tuesday on March the third. That's when things really start to fall into place. But as we come up on the Iowa caucuses it's it's always a confusing thing. If you're not from Iowa or a caucus state, which Nevada is a caucus state, but we do things a little bit differently uh than than other states. The way that we caucus is very much different than the way that Iowa caucuses now you can caucus uh with the Democrats the way that Iowa caucuses but you don't have to so it's it's just it's different but in Iowa okay this I'm gonna try and explain to you how a caucus works I don't like caucusing I don't like I've seen anyway never mind it's another story for another time which I'll probably never tell you because it brings back bad memories of a failed campaign I was once a part of. But anyhow, caucusing is different than primary. Okay, So in a primary, you have, so I am one person, I get one vote, we gather all the one people, get one vote, everybody gets together, we all cast our one vote, and then we add those votes up. It's basically like a general election, and we find out who our party's nominee uh, will be. Iowans have had this complex process that dates back to the 1800s. There's no ballots uh, and the caucus voters, um, like, like those of us that are primarying, aren't, aren't voting for, for candidates so much, but for delegates who support a given candidate, but that's, again, confusing. We're just, we're just going to stick with candidates in an attempt to explain this. So, the way it works is you, you walk into a room Okay, you, you, your caucus place is similar to how, how we do things here in Nevada. There are about 1,700 precincts across Iowa, and your precinct for where you caucus is determined by your address. This would be same as what we have. So in a, in a, in a, in a church uh, fellowship hall, in a union hall, in a community center, at a library, um, a school, a gymnasium, any place where you can gather a group of people can be a precinct. All the caucuses in Iowa take place at seven PM. So this all happens at the same time. Uh seven PM central time, so I believe what would that be? Be five o'clock our time, I believe. Um uh the presidential part of the caucusing takes about an hour or two, depending on how large uh the precinct is. So um you have to be a registered democrat in Iowa to participate in the caucus. You don't have to show... This This just blows my mind every time. You don't have to show any form of ID to participate in the caucus. But you have to sign an oath that says you are who you say you are and that you aren't caucusing twice. If you're a registered Democrat, you show up at your precinct and then uh, you are handed a card. On this card, on one side, you write your first choice of a candidate. On the back of the card... You write your second choice candidate. Everybody comes in the room. Everybody's got their card. There's some brief speeches. Um, representatives from different campaigns make make their pitches to attendees. It's very different than if you go into a into a regular primary where you can't have any sort of uh, any sort of candidate supporting information anywhere near where you're voting. Like there's a there's a defined perimeter of where campaigning can be done and once you pass that you cannot be representing anyone no this is actually happening inside the rooms so they're they're pitching their candidate and then uh the then the candidates representatives will each take a certain part of the room and then if you uh uh you, you can go to so what you do is you go you have the person on your card and you go to where that candidate's supporters are gathering, and you go and you stand uh, with that group. Now, once everybody has picked their side, essentially, the the those that are supervising the caucus will count how many people are in each group. If you weren't confused yet, you're probably about to be. If at this point, any candidate has at least 15% of the caucus goers in the room represented, those supporters are locked in. This is what's called the viability threshold. So if you have a room with 100 people, the candidate needs a candidate has to have at least 15 people uh, to win delegate. Sometimes it's higher than that. Just dep- It just depends on, on the viability threshold depending on how many people are caucusing in a room. If you are backing someone who is a viable candidate, so if on your first choice you're part of the 15%, then you are done for the evening. You stay with that candidate. If you're with a candidate who has 14% or less support in the room, you become part of the realignment. Up until this year, there could be several rounds of this realignment. This year, there's only going to be one round of realignment. This is, these are your options. You can either join a viable candidate's group or attempt to convince other people who are also part of 14% groups to support your candidate so that you can hit the viability threshold. Or, alternatively, you can join another non-viable candidate in hopes that they'll hit the threshold, or you can just go home. This is the critical part of the caucusing. If your candidate wasn't viable and you're looking for a new group, this is when everybody is trying to get you. Once you make uh your final decision, the delegates are divvied up based on the 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 number of People the like it's okay, I don't even know how to uh explain from here on, so your your you have now um your viability groups now, this is where I have to go back to the delegates. you have selected your delegates, so uh the number of people in each viable group after the realignment and there's only one realignment determine how many delegates each candidate wins from that precinct. The delegates are awarded proportionally. So now you have uh, the delegates. Once the caucus ends, the state calculates how those delegates from the nearly 1,700 precincts um, relate to uh, delegates from the counties, from their congressional districts, and from state conventions. So the number of state convention delegates that a candidate ends up with is what's reported on caucus night as state delegate equivalents. The state delegate equivalent number determines how many of Iowa's 41 pledged national delegates are awarded to any given candidate. The person with the most state delegate equivalents wins the Iowa caucus because they end up with the most national delegates. If that doesn't confuse you, I don't really know what will. So so the caucusing process, you're picking a candidate, but that candidate is represented by a delegate. The delegates are determined per precinct based on how many people, how many viable candidates there ends up being. So you have to reach at least 15% for your candidate or for that candidate to be viable. If they're viable, they will get delegates from the precinct. Then, the delegates are, are compared uh, to the state convention two delegates, county-wise, congressionally-wise, and then you come up with what is the state delegate equivalent. The state dele- delegate equivalent number says how many of Iowa's 41 delegates are awarded to a candidate, and the one that ends up with the most is declared the winner of the Iowa caucus. I know. It is insanity. That's why we were talking about it three weeks before, because... It's, it, you're at some point between now and the Iowa caucus you're going to be like, what is this and how does it work? Well, I have now explained it to you so that now, not are you less confused than you were before but at least now you understand why you are confused and when talk about it you can be like, oh yeah that's really confusing, I don't get it who's the winner? Just tell me who the winner is remember now, except for Bill Clinton in 1992 uh, the, the nominee has always won Either Iowa or New Hampshire or both. So if history repeats itself, the Iowa caucus could be very important. Or maybe it won't be if Biden has Biden's not polling well right now in Iowa or New Hampshire. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that's not where his strengths are. Now, regardless of who wins uh, the early the early battles in the Democratic primaries. The thing that we're not talking about as much right now is President Trump's approval rating. Now, his approval rating has been hovering a little below, and sometimes a little more than a little below, uh, 50% for pretty much his entire uh, presidency. It started up again a little bit in September and then went back down again. It's pretty much stabilized in the more mid-40s. It's going up a little bit. Um, particularly as the whole impeachment thing is unfolding, which is just ironic that his numbers have been been going up. Uh, Historically, presidents fare very well in re-election campaigns when they maintain approval ratings above 50%. President Trump, the fact of the matter is, has never maintained an approval rating above 50% in any point of his presidency. However, You've got a soaring economy, record low unemployment rates, and a rock-solid base of core supporters. And I think because of how he has governed, the president will have put pretty much in his pocket those who were hesitant to vote for him the first time or were had kind of a wait-and-see uh, idea. I think that you will see more individuals coming out to vote for the president based on his record, uh, I I think he will garner more support this election than he did the previous election. And then if we're talking history, of course the power of incumbency is incredible. Uh, Since FDR, we've only seen Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush elected and then not re-elected. Every other president has been re-elected. So you have what arguably will be called the two front runners bucking history in this thing. Biden not leading in Iowa or New Hampshire. If he doesn't win one of those, at least, history says he won't be the guy. You have President Trump with an approval rating hovering in the mid 40s. Historically, that doesn't bode well for re election. However, incumbents almost always win. We may be rewriting history with our politics this year. Which, quite frankly, wouldn't be surprising, given the state of politics over the last several years. But still, really will be fascinating to watch how this all unfolds. We are just weeks away from finding out who the winner of the Iowa caucus will be who the winner of Super Tuesday will be, who the Democratic presidential nominee will be, and then the fun begins in earnest. Of course, before the fun begins in earnest, all the Democrat candidates are going to come and start visiting us very soon because our our caucus will be approaching. But then, after Super Tuesday, once we have the nominee, we are going to... It's so fun living in a swing state. It was like this in Pennsylvania while I was growing up too. When you live in a swing state, people come to see you. People come to visit Iowa is not a swing state, but Iowa has a caucus, so everybody goes there. But when you live in a swing state, all the candidates come to see you. And it's just fun, and it's exciting, and it's cool. Now, unfortunately, this year we don't have a debate. The, the presidential debates for the general election, uh, there's going to be one in uh, late September at Notre Dame in Indiana... There is going to be uh, one in mid-October in Michigan at the University of Michigan. The third final debate will be in Nashville towards the end of October, a little less than two weeks before Election Day. There will be a vice presidential debate. Only one will be in Salt Lake City at the beginning of October. So we won't get any debates this year, but we will get lots of the candidates. So get your children ready. Get your signs out. Make you some t-shirts and get ready to go meet some people who in 50 years, people will be reading about in history books. That's a, it's a huge opportunity that we have as p- when, we're, when we're in a swing state to meet people, to influence people. And again, please, 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 this is your duty, it's your responsibility as an American to participate in our electoral process. It does matter. Your vote does matter. One vote does matter. I don't have time to tell you the story of a single vote. I'm sure we will do that multiple times uh, throughout this year. But one vote can make all the difference. Your vote can make all the difference. And it's your... It's your... I want to say... Yeah, it's your responsibility, but it's such a gift. God has given us in this country the opportunity to select... Who governs us. That's incredible. Incredible gift. If you look all throughout history. People have not had what we have in this country. By way of freedom. And the ability to select our own leaders. This is such a gift and we cannot take it for granted. We need to. As Christians, be an example of stewarding what God has given us well. And God has given us the freest country in the world. God has given us a nation founded on biblical principles. And how we steward that is largely reflected in whether or not we participate in the electoral process. Whether or not we're involved with what happens not just in the presidential elections, but if we find out who's running for our school boards and who's who's running to be the judge, who's running for the various lower offices in addition to our president uh, and, and, and our responsibility in electing our president, be a good example to your friends and neighbors this year. I'm not saying that you need to take to social media or that you need to um, express your political opinions online in such a way that it would be offensive. But that doesn't mean that you can't support a candidate that you believe it would best reflect your beliefs and would best reflect you and best govern our country in the way that our founders intended for it to be governed. So I hope you'll do that. I hope that you will participate. It is your right, it is your responsibility, and it is your gift to be part of Of selecting our leaders and it is a very very exciting year as we will be electing uh, the president and uh, and various state officials uh, people that will be sending to Washington DC it's going to be really an exciting exciting time all this year so be involved teach your children have difficult conversations don't have confrontations have conversations talk about meaningful issues and let's make a difference together in our country. I hope that you'll join us for church this Sunday as we work to make a difference right here in our city of Las Vegas. Come and join us. 9.30 and 11.15 Sunday morning are our service times. 6 p.m. Sunday evening, 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. The the only thing that'll matter in eternity, our country eventually will be gone. Uh, This whole earth will be gone. What will matter in eternity is people's souls. Come join us as we fish for men here at Liberty on Sunday. Be part of what God is doing here. 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard is our address. We'd love to have you and your family here with us. If you can't be here in person, you can stream us online by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a great day, everyone.